Hello, friends. This is Mike Pacquion from the Best Speech Podcast, re-releasing season one. And on today's episode, we have one of my very favorite people. That is the great Maya Elias. I met Maya a few years back when she was speaking at ConvertKit's Craft and Commerce Conference. I, I got to advise her. We'll talk about that on the episode. I, I could not believe that this was a real person. So we'll talk about that more. We'll also talk about being a klutz. We'll talk about how <laughs> she and I both have a short attention span. We both feel like that can be a secret weapon. And we will talk about the pressure of speaking at your own conference. Maya runs Impact Weekend. You can find her at mayaelias.com. That's Elias with two L's. And if you need help with messaging, by all means, give this woman a ring. She is so good at it. All right. Enough gushing. Let's listen to our podcast with Maya Elias. All right. So the, the theory is that we are all one of a kind. And of course, that's true in terms of DNA. But a lot of people look pretty similarly. And once in a while, you meet someone. And, and this is the case with today's guest. You meet someone where you're in the middle of talking to them or listening to them. And you're saying to yourself, like, what? Is this a real person? And that is the case with my dear friend, Maya Elias. I say my dear friend. We've never actually met in real life. Which I think is funny, Maya, like when that happens. That's an, that's an internet thing. But <laughs> sure. Maya, Maya and I met, quote unquote met, she was speaking at ConvertKit's Craft and Commerce Conference. I am the, the speech coach for that. So people schedule appointments and then they get a 45-minute 45 ses- 45 session with me, which is like this great benefit. And I'm having this session with Maya and just throughout our conversation, there are like these little details dripped in where I'm like, what? Huh? So I'm talking to her, and she's a black, first-generation American. Your parents are from, I think, Liberia, or do I always get that wrong? It's not Liberia. Yep, it's Liberia. Yep, Liberia, Liberia West okay. Africa. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, is it Liberia? Or, okay. So those two things, in the first place, like, that puts her in the minority. and then, But then they, like, kept going. So she, she had been going to, I think, UNC Charlotte, dropped out of college, to, to start her own business. But usually when you hear that, that's not like the first time you've ever heard that. But usually when someone does that, it's to be like, I have a friend who did that to be early stage at Square or like Apple plucks them. But that that is not Maya's story either. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but you just basically didn't want to be in college anymore, like felt like there were better things out there. And lastly, she's a Christian woman, which listen, if you're hearing that, you're like, yeah, but there are plenty of Christian women. I know, but there's a, there's a difference between people who tick off that box and then people who actually like really believe it. And that funnels what they do. And that is, that is Maya Elias, my friends, that is her in a nutshell. So Maya, (laughs) I don't remember if I said this out loud during that, or if I just thought it to myself, but I was like, what? There can't be anyone else like you. Which is Aww. actually wrong. I guess your sister probably checks a lot of those boxes too. But uh, <laughs> in the moment, in the moment, I thought to myself, like, this is not this is not a person that I met too many times. Oh, thank you. Thank you for thank you for being on the show. I think you're great. I think everybody will think that you are great. Um, I appreciate it. Give us the dropping out of college story, and then we'll we'll shift that into talking about how speaking has helped you. But I always think it's good to hear a little bit of the background. I mean, what, what's what's your story? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like so much that goes into it. Like even the school that I went to, it's crazy how I ended up there. Cause I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, Western Pennsylvania in the Pittsburgh area. 
And after I graduated high school, I was supposed to go to Penn State, but I ended up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina, because my dad got a job there. And my mom was like, I don't want you to go to, like, I don't want you to go to school in Pennsylvania while we live in North Carolina. She totally didn't trust that I would be able to behave myself being that far away from them because I was a huge (laughs) partier in high school. So in hindsight, I totally get it. I had gotten in trouble that summer and she's like, yeah, there's no way we're leaving you in Pennsylvania. So I ended up going to a community college in Charlotte, North Carolina. And at this community college is where I met somebody that asked me if I knew how to create custom MySpace pages. And I did. So that's actually how I got my start into the freelancing space because he offered me money to create custom MySpace pages. So had I never gotten in trouble that summer and uh, skipped out on going to Penn State and then enrolling in this community college, I probably never would have been where I am right now. I probably would have lived a very traditional life, gone to university for four years, got married, had kids, just that step-by-step traditional step that people expect you to go through. But so I started designing professionally. And then after a couple years of just learning my craft and learning how to run the business, learning how to charge and all of that, I'm like, okay, why am I still in school? I hated all of my classes. I hated that I had to take all of these like prerequisite courses, math cl- uh, math classes, science classes, all of that. And I'm like, I really just want to work for myself because I would find myself in my classes working on club flyers or working on MySpace sites or working on stuff for my clients and just not paying attention. And I just wasn't doing well. I was I was even on academic probation a couple of times by the time I had gone from the community college and transferring to the university, totally got lost at the university because it's hard for me to learn in large spaces where I feel like a number, which is probably why my teaching style is very intimate because I know what it feels like to just feel like a number. So I remember I had this client and I was designing all of the branding for his like vendor table or his, his exhibition table for a conference that he was going to be at. It was a huge car show, the SEMA car show in Vegas, which is like one of the largest automobile shows or whatever. And so I designed all of his stuff last minute for him and and handled all of his printing stuff. And so he was so grateful that I was able to do everything from last minute. So he offered to fly me me and my boyfriend at the time out to Vegas. And I'm like, obviously I'm going to take a free trip to Vegas. Like (laughs) who, that'd be crazy not to. I was like 22, 23 at the time. I was 23. So I reached out to my instructors and I'm like, hey, you know, I have to go to town for business. Can I take any tests in advance or just take them when I get back? Just trying to reschedule since I wouldn't be there for the actual exams. And one of my instructors was like, no, you'll just have to fail and your best grade will have to replace that fail. You know how colleges do that or like some instructors do that. Like, yeah, like, oh, your 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 best test will replace. I'm like, what kind of grading system is this? And I'm like, it doesn't make sense that I can't like create a schedule for something that I'm paying for. You know what I mean? Not to say that I shouldn't put forth my best effort, but if I want to go out of town and I'm like, hey, I'm willing to actually just do this early or I'm willing to make it up. So I'm like, okay, so I get an automatic fail because I want to go out of town. And you know, my thing is like, I 100% love freedom. That's the entire purpose of entrepreneurship for me. So for me to feel like I feel stuck to stay in town because I have to take some tests that I'm probably not going to do well on anyway. I'm like, man, I'm so over this. (laughs) I was like, Okay, great. And I never went back to school after that. Went to Vegas, had fun, came back, never went back on campus. 
And that was the last time you set foot on a campus. That was the last time I set foot on campus. And I didn't even officially unenroll or anything. It was just like, I just stopped showing up. And then I eventually had to tell my parents, which is a whole completely different story. But that is my college dropout story. Gosh, but that's so crazy because I'm just picturing your parents, first generation Americans, like what? it's not exactly like quick to move countries and they're just hearing this and yeah. I don't know, what are, they, are they just like Maya? No, you're going back to school. Right. So yeah, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, hindsight is crazy. Now that I'm older, I have such a beautiful relationship with my parents and can understand, you know, where they came from with their perspective. You know, they came to this country in their early twenties, like probably the age I dropped out, you know, so they're starting a life. My dad's going to school on a full ride. He went to Ohio state. He's, he's a college professor, all of those things. And here I am at 23 dropping out to say that I want to create graphics for people, you know? So yeah, um, I'm going to do, no, 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 but mom, I'm going to do my space flyers. Right. Exactly. Popular that website is. (laughs) Right. I'm going to make club flyers and it's literally just, and you know, I told this in my, in my speech that you helped me with, like, I'm going to make club flyers where I just throw naked girls on the flyer and tell people to go to a party. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to do for a living. So I will not be a college educated <laughs> child of yours. You're um, telling me that I can't do that for the next 50 years. Why not? Um. <laughs> right. And in my head, I had it figured out like, all I have to do is make 48 flyers a day to, you know, to make six figures. And it made so much sense in my head. Um, obviously, so not realistic, but. Okay. So what, give us the skinny on what you do now. So now what I do is I'm still in the branding space. You know, back then I didn't really know that what I was doing was branding, helping people build their brand and position themselves as experts or position their events as the most fun or just position them in the best possible light through graphic design. Now what I do in the branding space is help people position themselves based on their messaging. So not web design and graphic design anymore or even photography anymore, but how are you communicating the value in what you do? And after being a web designer for so long, what I realized was that people struggled to create content for their site. They struggled to come up with copy for their site. And I would realize like a year or two after I would do their website, they were like out of business. And it's because they had this beautiful platform, but they were not communicating their value. And so people started to ask me for advice. I'm like, what should I say on my website? What do I even say on social media? And as I was helping with their content, I realized that my gifting was in messaging. I knew how to take complex terms and make them simple for their ideal client to understand. And interestingly enough, I think what makes me so good at that is, again, like what I said about going to university and just being so lost in the sauce. It's hard for me to understand complex ideas. I need it to be explained to me in a very simple way. So with my clients, because they've been experts in their fields for so long, they're often using a lot of expert jargon and it's just not landing. The message is not landing for their ideal clients. So I'm like, hey, I really need you to dumb, dumb this down for me. And so I'm able to help them dumb it down and package it up and then explain the value of it. That's so funny. <clears throat> I think that's one of my strengths too. And I've told people that before. I'm like, I think I'm good at this because I don't have a good attention span and I'm willing to tell you when I'm lost. Like, mm, yes. it's interesting. I was on, I told you before we started recording, we're trying to refinance our house. And I was on the phone yesterday with finance guy and he's just 
throwing numbers over my head and term one and term two and this and this and this. And finally I said to him, I said, okay, stop. Am I writing a check or no? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. This is probably why you and I struggle with adulting because it's like, was there a secret adult class that other people took that we didn't like, how do people just know these things? That's why I'm always like, I just, if I don't have an accountant or somebody to just delegate this to, it's like, I need a more adultier adult in my life to help me navigate being an adult. Yeah, totally. Okay. So messaging, you're so good at that. And then when you get on stage, one of the things I admire about you, there are a couple of things I think that are real strengths of yours on stage. Like number one, that messaging comes through. You've clearly thought about it. People call it dumbing down, but really what it is is you're making it universal. So that's one thing. And the other thing, and I know this is true of you as a person, but you are so good at being empathetic with your audience. So I was thinking about that for you. I think that's one of your natural giftings. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you ever have something where you had to go through like empathy therapy, basically? Like you had to learn (laughs) how to be more empathetic or is that just you were always good at that? No, I think that's just my personality because I'm soft. (laughs) (laughs) so so when you are when you're trying to help someone and they just don't get it you can picture people like this their whole life has been about achievement 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 they've never really thought about what it's like on the other end do you have do you have something that you i don't know if it's exercises or questions or what do you have something that helps them to see from someone else's point of view does that question make sense no i'm not clear on what you're asking do you, have, do you have an exercise that helps someone be more empathetic? Mm, I see. No, I don't think that I do because I think you're describing me as empathetic, but I guess I've never considered I'm good at what I do because I am empathetic. So mm. in my mind, I'm not like, oh, let me have a, an empathy exercise because this is the best way. In my mind, the way that I teach them to make their content digestible or, you know, I guess have empathy. It's just like, Hey, let's, let's just go back to your story. Let's tell your story because this is how you're going to be able to relate. So that relatability and that empathy comes back to their story and their past struggles. And that's kind of like where the connections are between them and their audience. So when you're, when you're presenting at whatever conference, women of faith or convert whatever it is, are you able to pretty quickly say, this is what the people in the audience are feeling. Do you do research on that? What, what does it look like for you to prepare for the audience? Mm. So usually I'll ask the creator of the conference or, you know, whoever's in charge of that, like, what is the audience really looking for? Cause I want to make sure that I'm delivering a message that is valuable and value is subjective, right? It's like, what is it that they're looking for? What is it that they need? So I want to know what they're struggling with. So again, I can have that empathy. I can connect with them on that level and then help them overcome that struggle that they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Have you ever skipped that step? Mm, I mean, probably starting out, I guess I would yeah. just assume like, Hey, if they come to my talk, they must, they must care <laughs> about it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you, so then I think I know the answer to this question, but when you get on the stage, like what's your actual goal? What, what's going through your head? Like they announce you and you're walking out there. Like what's going through your head? <laughs> oh my God. What's going through my head is one. I hope I don't trip. I have like a, <laughs> a fear of tripping upstairs. I hope I look good because I'm very image conscious. You know, my and Enneagram. And you dance on stage sometimes. 
I dance on stage. I always dance on stage when I'm excited or nervous. So it's like dancing is just my default. So I'm like, hey, let's just turn up and have a party. Let's just get everybody. At least if they like my dancing, then maybe they'll like me. So (laughs) I do that. And then by the time I'm like ready to begin the speech, like coaching myself in my head, like keep up the energy. And honestly, a lot of times when I'm on the stage and staring in the audience, I'm like, I hope these people don't hate me. And Mm. it's so different being on a stage than it is, let's say live video, because I do think live video has helped me prepare to become a better speaker, because I am a words of affirmation person, and I like to get immediate affirmation. So on live video, people are tapping, they're giving hearts, they're saying, oh my God, that's so good. Oh my God, you snatched my edges. Oh my gosh, this is so relatable. And so when I'm speaking, I immediately know that it's it's resonating. And my number one goal is to make sure that I'm delivering a message that resonates. And I want to make sure that I'm not delivering information that's going over their head. You know, the feeling that you and I feel when we have yeah, to- financial you know, advisor guy. Yes, exactly. I never want anybody to feel like that when I'm teaching them a concept. And so a lot of times when I'm on the stage, I'm staring at their faces and they're listening so intently. So they have this, their face is very serious. And in my head, I'm like, damn, am I making sense? Do these people hate (laughs) me? So as I'm giving my speeches or telling my stories, I'll often ask for affirmation. I'll raise my hand and say like, have you guys been through this before? Does this resonate with you? So that's what I do to kind of feel confident through my talk. Just ask. I like to engage. I never like to yeah. feel like I'm talking at somebody. I like to feel like it's always a conversation. That's how all of my content is, even speaking from the stage. So that's if I can awesome. get them, if I can get them to engage, then that makes me feel good. Yeah, and thinking of it as a conversation, I think takes the pressure off. A lot of people feel like it has to be this amazing soliloquy that's perfectly <laughs> worded. And man, like. Maybe you can pull that off, but that is a recipe for disaster. I know that is for me. Mm-hmm. So when you think of it as a conversation, hear the people in the audience, I'm just trying to help them out. It's yeah. easier for me to say that right now than it is to actually do, but that, that just, to me, that takes some of the edge off. Absolutely. And so that's interesting that you're saying, so when you're doing an Instagram live or similar and there are little people are tapping the hearts and everything, that helps you. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's instant. Yeah, it's instant affirmation. And, you know, I'll I'll be saying something and I'll be like, give me a one if you've dealt with this before, or Mm. give me a two if you're excited about whatever. So I'm getting them to engage. Again, it's just that it's that conversation again, because of what I teach my clients is that good content is just a conversation between you and the person that you want to do business with. So that's how I like to always think about it. And somebody asked me that the other day on a live, they're like, how can I feel confident getting on camera and talking to a camera? And I'm like, the first thing is don't feel like going live is talking to a camera. Feel like going live is having a conversation with your audience. Treat it like as if you were having a FaceTime conversation with you and the people that you care about. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's such good advice. That is such good advice. It's funny. So I was, one of the things that I was, so Maya, you've, for whatever reason, you've come up recently in conversation a fair bit. And I'm always like my friend, Maya, again, we've never met in real life. (laughs) I was like, Maya is one of the best social media followers. And then like literally last night, you're like, I need a social media break. It made me laugh so much. (laughs) Um, Where, okay. So where does your style come from? I, I don't mean sense of style, but when you walk on stage, are you emulating someone? Is that just who Maya is? Do you have a speech personality? Mm. How, how do you think, where, where do you think it comes from presenting the way that you do? 
I think just practice. I don't know if I have a speech personality, but I like the idea of you creating content around different speech personalities because that would help people that are really nervous. So we'll we'll definitely talk about that. But speech personality, I think it's it's really just me. I think it's just like the confident alter ego version of me, maybe. Yeah. Like I feel good on stage when I know that I look good. So like, you know, when I'm preparing for a talk, and I remember writing a blog post about this, like when I'm preparing for a talk, one of the things that would stress me out the most is figuring out what am I going to wear? Because if I don't feel like I look good and I feel like people are staring at me like, oh, her shirt's wrinkled or her dress is too short or whatever it is, then I'm not going to feel confident delivering my message. You know, it's the, it's the same thing with people who have website shame where they're like, I know my message is good, but my website is yeah. ugly. So that's the same thing with me being on stage. Do I look presentable? So once like my hair looks good, my makeup looks good, my outfit looks good, my jewelry looks good. I'm like, eh, can't nobody tell me nothing because I already know my message is going to be good. So, okay, every year or every year, at least last year and this year, you've done Impact and Weekends, which, is, well, tell us what Impact and Weekends about and then I have a question about it. Yes. So Impact Weekend is my three-day live event where it's primarily uh, women of faith and I'm helping them master their message, build their brand, and teaching them how to create a high-end offer that they can sell so they can run a six-figure personal brand as an expert, coach, speaker, author. So last, the last time it was was February, and then the next time will be February 2021. Here's my question for you. So you're, you're saying a lot of things like, you know, I feel more confident when I've got I know the message is good, but I feel more confident when I know I'm not going to trip on stage. I feel more confident when <laughs> uh, I know that my appearance is dialed in. When you're at Impact Weekend, everybody's there for you, at least on some level. I mean, nobody's there that hates you, I assume. <laughs> do, you, do you approach it differently? I mean, do you feel more confident? You know what? I actually feel really good because I feel like I like taking the pressure off of them being there for me because now I'm trying to transition into they feel like they can learn from my frameworks rather than learn from me. Because I'm like, if I'm the sole purpose that they're showing up, it's going to be hard for me to scale. Yeah. And so what worked really well was that I sold tickets months before Impact Week, and I think I started selling tickets seven months out. And then even for this year, I started selling tickets 12 months out. And what works is that I open up a Facebook group about six or seven months beforehand, and everybody starts getting to know each other. So then by the time they get in the room, they're all excited to see each other, and it's kind oh, of like I'm, the, I'm just the cherry on top, which takes the pressure off of me because I always get nervous like, okay, how can I expand if they want to directly be coached by Maya? And so at my event, I have impact coaches, which are just other, you know, brand strategists and coaches and sales coaches that are there to help them get clear on their message in between the sessions. And they felt so served by that. And it made me feel good that they felt served by somebody that I appointed to them. So that makes me feel really good because I can also have that inside of my programs. And I want to make sure that they don't feel like, Oh, Maya just handed me off to somebody else. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. So, how many speeches do you end up giving that weekend? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a million and one. It's like, <laughs> uh, it's a full nine to five day for three days, and I'm the only speaker. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wait, do you even like pull people from the audience on stage or anything? 
I do. Yeah. So we do hot seats. So I get to go in teaching mode, which I really love, especially when we start talking about like content and strategy, when I can like really deep dive into like structuring things. So it's not always like storytelling or like a formal speech. Some of it is really like teaching. But the first day I think is more like speech mode. And that always makes me nervous. I'm a natural teacher. So I love teaching and and breaking down concepts. But when I have to do the motivational stuff, you know, like that's when I come to you and I'm like, how the heck should I motivate these people and tell the story without seeming cheesy? And I'm also not the you know, I'm like not the type of person that's like driven or or easily fooled or manipulated by like high energy, but don't know what the person is saying. So yeah. I also don't really deliver like that. Like I'm not a preacher, so to speak. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I my voice is naturally monotone, but I already like I, I feel like what I'm saying is really good. It's good information. So what I struggle with and what I usually come to you for is like, how can I have more infliction in my voice? How can I tell a story to drive home this point? especially when it comes to motivation. You know what? I don't remember if we've talked about this before, but I've recently recommended to people that they have one section in their talk that it's not, it's not a rap per se, but it's like that high energy. Like I always think of that Eminem song where like the bass really kicks in and he starts going faster. Mm -hmm. And I always think it's not a requirement for a speech or anything, but it's not a bad idea, especially just thinking about you when you were, concluding either the opening keynote or maybe the last one to start banging the drum for like, what are you going to do now? And, and speed up the way that you speak, mm-hmm. you know, like talk at like 1.5 speed. Mm, right. That makes sense. I'm going to need to practice that. <laughs> <laughs> I started, this is just only a speech nerd would do this, but I had this hypothesis that, okay. So I saw someone speak in person last year. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that presentation was incredible. Mm. Texting my wife in the middle of it, all this stuff, go home, watch it on TV. Like, you know, after the conference, you get a link to all the, all the speeches and we go home and watch it. I'm like, Oh, this feels really slow. <laughs> and uh, I had a, I had a stunning realization, Maya, which is when you're doing things over video, it should be a little bit faster than if it were in the room. Oh my so, gosh, I completely agree. I nerded out and I started looking at the the most viewed TED Talks. And uh, I, I won't go through like every last detail of it, but the top 10, all of them except for one, speak at a faster rate than people would naturally speak. So people speak at 130 to 150 words per minute. And all of them except for one went faster than that. And like at least 10% faster. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how that makes a lot of sense for video automatically because you're like less, there's just less to look at. So that makes a lot of sense for video automatically. And I think in general, that's just a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Faster equals, en- like it still has to be enunciated well, but faster equals more energy and people are looking for energy. Yeah. People are looking for energy and for their time to be saved. Like our attention spans are so, so uh, short and it's like, bro, just get to the point. Yeah. Like when I watch videos now, I'm like, why did it take you five minutes to say all of that? Like, talk faster, please. (laughs) (laughs) When you're preparing for Impact Weekend, you're giving a million speeches. Like, walk me through your process for preparing that. Like, do you do you start with let's say there are five speeches in two days? Do you start Mm -hmm. with speech one should lead to speech two, should lead to speech three, and you like look at all of them first? 
or is it more like here are all the thoughts I want to share? Let me figure out how they go together. Like, what's what's that process look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, I start with a framework, and I've done Impact Weekend so many times at this point that I know what I'm going to say on each day. You know, I start with my framework, which is mindset, messaging, and marketing. So then it's like, okay, what do they need to know about mindset, and in what order? And then what action items do I need them to take after I teach them? And I think like, because I think about calls to action and action items, this is why my clients get results because I'm, again, I'm not just talking at you and saying, here's what's the best thing to do. I'm making sure that you're actually uh, digesting this information and, and setting a plan to implement. So that's usually how I think about it. Like, the big framework. And then for each section of the framework, what do I want to teach? In what order do I want to teach? And what's the action item that they need to have? And then at the very end, I figure out like, okay, what story do I want to tell that's associated with this point so that it resonates well with them? Yeah, that's so good. So figure out what you were saying and then worry about making it not making it good, but worry about the the story and the, the surprise, like all the stuff that takes it that extra mile. Do that mm-hmm. after you've figured out what you're talking about. Right, exactly. Because if I come up with a story first, it's like, okay, Maya is a great storyteller, but what does this have to do with what I came to learn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of people fall into that trap. So I, I love that you go in the other order. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, and then after, after the weekend's done, Maya takes a vacation, I assume. I mean, shoot, I really did plan to, but then thanks to coronavirus, Maya was at home bored for like a month and a half. I was like, wait, why am I so bored? And I'm like, oh yeah, because I'm supposed to be on somebody's beach right now when I'm sitting at home. Uh, bored Maya tweets were my favorite. Like that was that was that was one of the things that kept me going, truly. <laughs> I was freaking miserable. Oh my goodness. I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm just sitting in the house. It's so good. It's so good. And you even had a post. You're like, well, I bought a car. Then I'm no longer just like, I think you never owned a car, basically. You're like, I just bought my first car and it will sit in the driveway for six weeks. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's like my first car, no, in years. Because my first car, you know, it was older. So I paid it off in two years. But I just brought bought a brand new car. And it's like, wait, but where am I going? I literally go to the gym and that's it. My gym is 12 <laughs> minutes away and I go four days a week. And then every, every other day, the car just sits there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just got off the phone with my insurance company. And they're like, how many miles do you drive per year? I'm like, probably 4,000. <laughs> like, let's see. I drive eight miles a week. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. All right, Maya. We, uh, we always like to have our guests tell a story. Maya's a great storyteller. Pressure's on. Uh, we always like to have our guests tell a story. This doesn't have to be one of the ones that you've told from stage, although that, that's certainly good too. But we, we would love to hear a Maya Elias, in parentheses, like her Twitter says, not Maya Licious. Oh We'd gosh. love to hear a, a Maya Elias story. Okay, let's see. So the story that I thought of, this is just so random, but I just think it's so funny. And I like telling stories that humble me a little bit because I want people to like, I want people to be inspired by me, but not necessarily idolize me. And so I like to kind of have like a grounded humility of like, Hey, I didn't know what I was doing at one point. And so this story is from 2015, which is crazy because five years ago, I mean, it's not that long ago, but this is when I started to start making money seriously in my business. This is when I was making, you know, eight, nine, $10,000 a month. 
And I remember my sister and I had done a joint webinar together and we had a collaborative offer. And I think on the webinar, we maybe made like five or $6,000. And to me at the time, that was so much money to make on a webinar. I'm like, yeah, yeah. holy crap, this is a lot of money. It's like two and- cards. so I needed to go to the bank and take out half of that so I could pay my sister the other half and I am at the bank and I start explaining to the bank teller (laughs) why I needed to take out this amount of money and I you know I never had a formal nine to five before so it's like and I didn't understand the concept of like, there's people that are actually rich in this world that make money, money. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking I'm so rich. I just made $6,000 off of a webinar. So I'm explaining, I, I, I don't know why in my mind, I'm thinking the bank teller is definitely wondering where all of this money came from. You must explain to her where it came from. So I'm like, yeah, my sister and I just had a webinar and I have to give her half the money. And I realized... She's not paying attention at all. She's probably like, girl, how much do you need? There's a line. Can you keep it moving? (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So that is my story. $5,000, you know, is a great amount of money to make on a webinar, but it's not enough for the IRS or your bank is going to be questioning you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can totally picture that. That's so good. (laughs) Have you told, like, is that... Is that in your arsenal to tell from stage? <laughs> I think the first time I told it was at Impact Weekend earlier this year because I had a girlfriend's panel. My sister was on it. And I'm like, oh, my God, Natty, do you remember Periscope days when we really started blowing up and started making money? I was like, I went to the bank and tried to explain to the bank teller. <laughs> and she's like, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, that is the best. Maya, I love it. Okay, I have one minor suggestion. Can I give one minor suggestion on that? Sure. When you when you do the part where you're explaining to the bank teller, <laughs> I'm not 100% confident in this, but I think this would make it, I think this would work. <clears throat> Maybe make your voice more like rambling. Like, you know what I mean? The way a nervous person would actually sound. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I just did this webinar with my sister and we made $6,000 and that, that's where this, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> That story is so good. That story is so good. Oh, man, I love it. I definitely need to use it in one of my speeches for sure. I don't know what the purpose would be or like how it would bring it back to a lesson, but it's funny. Oh, no, that's perfect because what you would do, that would be at the end of one of your talks. So you would say, you would tell that story and you would say, I was going crazy for $6,000 divided by two. (laughs) <laughs> and we hadn't paid the tax man yet. <laughs> and now look where and now look where I am. And can I remind you, I got I was on academic academic probation in college. My first car looked like this, like click to a slide of your first beat up car. Mm-hmm. And then something else, some other like humbling detail. Yeah. And then it's like so. Then the point there is so if I can do this, and I'm giving you my playbook this weekend, my guess is you are going to be able to tell a story like that someday. Mm, I love that. I love that. One last thing, actually two last things, but first last thing, can you give us one Maya Elias speaking tip? So something, it doesn't have to be like universal, but just something that you do when you're putting, either putting the speech together or you're backstage, some sort of speaking tip. 
Mm. I think my speaking tip is make sure you come out to a song that makes you feel really good and confident. Love it. What's that song for you? Huh. At Impact Weekend, it was All the Way Up by Fat Joe and Remy Ma. <laughs> you know that love- song? Uh, no. But you would, you would know it if you heard it. The okay. Nothing Can Stop Me. I'm All the Way Up. Oh, you know yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That's no. what it was. I always listen to music backstage, and I couldn't possibly walk out to my power song because it would be confusing to people. But do you know that my power song, and this is true for whether I'm like running or giving a speech or whatever, is ready for it? Like a prayer. <laughs> Madonna. Oh my goodness. How is that your power song? I'll tell you exactly how, because it starts slow and then it ramps up. And like that, that like, it gives me this calmness at first and then it gets, it gets more and more. And I don't know, I listened to it once when I was running and it helped me run. And that's been, that's been my power song ever since. <laughs> but I would not okay. walk out to that because that would be weird. Right. Okay. We'll keep that as the power song for your runs. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, um, maybe we can choose a different one. Right. A public um, power song. Yeah, totally. All right. I'll let you know what that is. Maya, where can people find out more about you? Yes. You guys can find out more about me on Instagram at Maya Elias, M-A-Y-A-E-L-I-O-U-S. And if you want to find out more about Impact Weekend, you can go to builttoimpact.com. Love it. Maya, you're the best. Thank you for chatting. See, didn't you love Maya? She's the best. She's the best. I was so happy to have her on. She is a uh, busy, busy woman. I love that she made time for me and for you and for us. That is all we've got for today, my friends. Best speech has been lightly edited by Doug Norrie. Music by Jonah Ramey. And until next time, my friends, do good things out there. <laughs>